Hey there, AMC Turn fans. Welcome to another episode of the AMC Turn After Show on AfterBuzz TV. Tonight we are talking about Season 4, Episode 7, Quarry. I might be filing solo, but guys, there is a ton to talk about. Please stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin! Hey there, Turn fans. We are here to talk about the episode Query tonight. Ooh. Feel that guitar riff. I love that. Uh, with me, uh, well, sadly, my, my normal co-host, Katie Cullen, is sadly out again today, and I'm not even going to lie. For a moment, I thought she had jinxed it, because about 30 seconds into this episode, I was like, Katie needs to stop going away, because she keeps leaving during episodes where people die. Luckily, that turned out not to be the case, but we'll unpack that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm your host, Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. that's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. We are going to have you guys pulled up on the live chat in just a minute here. We are also going to be keeping an eye on the hashtag A. BTV turn on Twitter for those of you guys who want to keep me company during tonight's discussion. Also, joining me in Katie's stead, our friends on Twitter at Flat Andre sent us a replacement co-host. So Flat Andre is joining me tonight, guys. Everyone say hello. Oh yes, live studio audience definitely appreciates that. And um, guys, the, if you're not familiar with the Flat Andre uh, Twitter account, it is absolutely hysterical. It's basically the travel gnome of, I guess, British intelligence spies. Um, so it's a fantastic hilarious account so uh, be sure to follow them on Twitter uh, and in the meantime he is going to be basically my ne- uh, Wilson tonight uh, for tonight's show since I don't have anybody else to talk to with maybe the exception of you guys in the live chat and also Ronnie in the booth hey how you doing good good I'll pull up that chat for you because I don't want you to do this alone oh thank you much obliged well I want to talk to you guys really quickly. Also, before we get started, uh, since we kept running out of time in the last few episodes, I want to take a moment to talk to you guys about iTunes, and I want to say thank you again to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you, and it is the best way to let our producers know that you guys like the show that we're putting on, and since this is the final season of the show, I would really appreciate it if you guys gave us a shout-out on iTunes to express your guys's feelings on this show because this is the last hurrah for the for for turn so uh it would really mean a lot to us if you let our producers know that you liked the job we were doing for the last four seasons so i'm gonna go ahead and if you do you'll go ahead and get a twitter shout out uh, we have Mara Jade one three two four three on uh, on iTunes saying, "Turn After Buzz is back. I'm so glad Megan and Katie are back for the final season of Turn. I'm so sad this is the final season, but I'm so glad I'll be able to get through this with you guys. You guys are awesome." And then we also have Jane seven eight nine one two five also giving us five stars. Turn. Love your show. Wish this wasn't Turns last season. Love the actors. Love your take on each episode. We do, too. And I promise you, even though I'm flying solo tonight, guys, you're going to want to stay tuned for the rest of the season because we have a few surprises in store. And also, I, I see that we have the live chat up. Uh, <laughs> Flat on, the Flat Andre account says, uh, good evening, and thank you for allowing me to join you this evening. Thank you for keeping me 
company. Much obliged. Um, and we also have the Something Something podcast. Hey, guys, what's going on? And Turnland out there, you guys are the best. Thank you guys so, so much for keeping me company. So... I I want to know from everybody watching live and everybody on Twitter, I, and you guys in the YouTube comments after the fact, I want to know, did this initial cold open have you fooled? Because we get about a minute and a half into the episode, and my jaw hit the floor for a solid probably 30 seconds because I sat there and went, no, the show cannot do this. We just had Samuel Rukin on. You can't kill Simcoe yet. You just can't do it. And then sure enough, it turned out to be a fake out. And uh, right about the moment where Abe got shot, that's where I knew. I was like, oh, okay, they're doing what they did with Nathaniel Sackett back in the day. Uh, they're they're running through this scenario, oh, a what-if situation. Um, and in this scenario, both Simcoe and Abe get killed, um, but for for a moment, uh, for a moment, the show actually did have me fooled. Uh, everybody else says, seems to say that no, they they weren't fooled a bit. I will, like I said, the second Abe got shot, I was like, okay, not real. This can't be it. But the the only the only reason why I I potentially allowed it as as an example was because of how shocking Richard. Richard's death was a couple episodes ago. I would not put it past this show to just kill off a major character in a cold open. So uh, it's, but because this show, uh, as um, Childhood's Hour uh, points out on Twitter, they're not, they weren't fooled. And we have another person on the live chat saying it shouldn't come as a surprise because it's a device that they've been using quite often. I believe that's Airedale 06. Um, and yeah, they're right. It's one of it's one of the shows. It like it's a really good device that this show uses because it's even though they've done it quite a bit, they also use it sparingly every season. Um, <laughs> Turnland also says the first uh, twenty seconds they were like maybe this is, a, but ah uh, no, it's probably not. Um, knew it was a fantasy uh, after the fact, but yeah. Uh, just because this show likes to do that, I, I appreciate that they used it sparingly enough so that when they do it, you're not entirely sure you are fooled at least for a minute or two. But uh, to, once once the fantasy has ended, uh, we basically what we see is that it's not just Abe running through this scenario and trying to come up with a plot to kill Simcoe. It's Hewlett as well. They, they have, in fact, banded together. Um, <laughs> Hewlett has taken Abe's bribe, and they are now working uh, together to try to formulate a plot to kill Simcoe. And that's when Hewlett runs through a different scenario where they're like, what if we poison him? That doesn't work either. <laughs> um, Flat Andre also says, oh dear, I must say uh, that it was the most distressing to think of all of the bodily fluids uh, oozing from Captain Simcoe on my most favorite sofa. Many thanks to God that it was just a mere fantasy. <laughs> um, and uh, as Victoria Ortega points out, Simcoe is not so easy to kill, and uh, Childhood's Hour says he's way too important to kill off in such a way. And I wholeheartedly agree. That's why I was like, no, this this cannot, this is unacceptable. Um, and, and like I said, especially after we just had Samuel on, that's just not fair. <laughs> that's just not fair for the universe to do. But 
I also really kind of appreciated this scene from a meta perspective because to me, I wasn't just seeing two characters trying to come up with a plan to dispatch uh, a mutual enemy. I was also seeing uh, the writers sitting down and going, how how could these characters go about trying to kill Simcoe? And I kind of imagined this more as a writer's room brainstorm than it actually was uh, Hewlett and Abe trying to come up with a plan. And I can't help but wonder if that's not... I'm kind of torn on how I feel about this because I feel like it could be like, hey, there are lots of different ways we could choose to do away with a character like Simcoe. The original plan was to kill him in the pilot, um, and he's been such a staple on this show that when, like, it's not going to be so easy to take him down, let's run through a couple possibilities, and... Uh, like I said, I kind of just like that from a meta perspective of, like, the the writers thinking about this character that they were originally going to kill off, who became one of the main villains of the show and one of the most interesting characters in the show. How would we kill him off? And or, if they're not planning on killing him, uh, which is a distinct possibility... Uh, would, maybe we should just at least run through a couple scenarios so people can at least see him die in various ways before the series is out. Uh, <laughs> uh, Turnland says, uh, I think they are giving us the fantasy Simcoe murders to satisfy the viewer's need for revenge because I am convinced Simcoe with will survive. I am with you. Um, and Childhood's Hour also says, I loved the two of them planning together. They both have terrible plans. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Something time and time again uh, that we have emphasized is that Abe is the worst spy. And Hewlett's not that great at being a spy either. Um, being a liar is a little bit out of his element. And even when he was planning on using his position just to, you know, bolster his fortune. Uh, he was basically stealing Abe's old plan with the Sons of Liberty in terms of giving himself... Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> in terms of giving himself... Um, yeah. Hey, Megan, can I yes. ask a question? Go for um, it. What, what do you feel is the reason that Simcoe is so resilient? Like, a lot of the people on the chats keep indicating that he is sort of impossible or such a challenge like what is so dynamic about him oh dude uh that's an i think what it is is that he is relentless he is absolutely relentless because in his when he gets laser focused on something he will not stop until and Especially because in this series, the series started off with him being put in a very bad situation where his life was in danger and he ended up getting tortured. And he basically made a few mental notes of like, okay, these are the people who are responsible for putting me in that situation. I'm going to see to it that justice is done. So from his perspective, he's not necessarily doing evil, but he takes a lot of pleasure in that brutality. And again, just that laser focus of, I have a goal, I'm going to accomplish it, and he will stop at nothing. And I think probably the biggest, um, the biggest hurdle with him isn't just his brutality, it's his intelligence. Uh, because we see throughout this episode... 
um, he doesn't need a lot of information to go on in order to deduce when there is a threat or a potential target. Uh, and that's what we see when he's sitting in the bar with Arnold and he gets uh, he gets word about a hog farmer from Log Island whose father was killed who just happened to sign up. When he hears that, he's like, oh, that's that's Woodhull. Oh, what was his name? Oh, Woodhull. Oh, OK. Oh, name sounds familiar. That's interesting. Oh, well, I guess I'll just go off and do my own thing, pay me no mind. <laughs> and it's also that he he really appreciates doing the dirty work himself, even though he does have his flunkies to do stuff on occasion. When, uh, when, he, uh, when he was asked earlier or later in the episode whether or not he wanted his flunkies to take care of Abe, he was like, no, you guys stay here, keep drinking. I'm going to go shoot him in the face. It's going to be fine. Um, so Simcoe, Simcoe is not one to be trifled with. If you if you mess with him, he will not hesitate to run you through with a bayonet. Um, and he's gotten awfully good at being a manipulator too. Uh, so yeah, that, those are those are my thoughts on uh, why Simcoe uh, uh, is such a such a presence in this show. Um, and also, so, the Something Something cast says, when any villain is willing to take three or four extra steps uh, that the good guys aren't willing to take, it makes them a formidable opponent. And that's a great way to put it. Um, he definitely, uh, he's not necessarily a monster because he does have a beating heart and ultimately wants to be loved and wants to love in return. But like, man... It's hard, and it's why it was nice to see that vulnerable side of him in the last episode, because, again, we've been seeing nothing but the brutality for about two and a half seasons now. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah, anyway, kind of to get back, uh, the plot to kill Simcoe from these two is actively at odds with the plan that Talmadge has made to kidnap Benedict Arnold. Um, and as much as we like to rag on Abe for being a terrible spy, because he is, um, I do have to give him a lot of credit for being able to keep a cool and collected head under pressure. Because holy cow, when he gets called to Benedict Arnold's house and is kind of blindsided by Peggy, I I have to hand it to him. He didn't show his hand immediately. And he actually kept his cool. And in a lot of ways, I feel like he really did work really well with the situation he was handed in. And being able to adapt under the pressure in this episode, again, it none of it worked. And it certainly would have backfired on him had Arnold not come back home at the last minute because Simcoe was ready for him. Um, ultimately, he did a really good job under pressure. I feel like other pe- other people would have folded under the pressure that he would have been put under and it's definitely sink or swim when you're tossed into an unknown situation like that because you have no idea whether or not Peggy can be trusted and finding out that Cicero actually probably wasn't you know taking word from Cicero information from Cicero wasn't a great idea because apparently someone was listening so that's a lot to unpack in just a really quick moment and she has not given him a lot of turnaround time to put their plan into action and on top of all that he could care less about kidnapping Arnold which is you know the whole reason why he's there 
what he cares about is his quarry, which, you know, shout out, uh, that's a throwback to a couple episodes ago. That's what he's concerned about. His concern is his quarry, who is Simcoe. So they're coming up with plans in terms of kidnapping Arnold, and he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me because I really want to murder Simcoe. I'm not going to tell you that because I forget to mention these things sometimes, but... (laughs) but yeah that's not gonna work for me and by not work for me I mean who cares about Arnold I just really want to kill Simcoe so it's this it's that kind of it's that same laser focus that is ultimately detrimental to what is going on if uh if Abe was more willing to work with everybody else (laughs) it would probably be a lot easier they might have accomplished it they might have actually been able to kidnap Arnold but he's so focused on capturing Simcoe that he basically tells Champ you don't know what you're doing or Champ sorry you don't know what you're doing uh you just got here I'm the one that's going to tell you what to do I've got all this figured out you don't know anything about being a spy even though (laughs) he told that to a guy who took a bullet for this plan uh it makes a lot of sense that Champ would act the way he is because when Champ arrives he's absolutely no nonsense he's like this is the plan we are sticking to the plan because i got shot for the plan (laughs) um i believe we have arendello six abe is a terrible spy but would be a fantastic lawyer yep that's the point we were making last week um (laughs) uh childhood's hour also says uh he should have known better not to use cicero I concur with that assessment. Cicero's a kid, and even though he's been very helpful in this whole thing, he is a kid who, by the end of this episode, is in dire straits. Um, although I will say, one of my favorite things, kind of, again, kind of talking a, a little bit more on a meta level, one of my favorite things about this plot line isn't so much Abe's half-baked schemes to kill Simcoe and make it sort of align with their plan to kidnap Arnold. Um, what really what really sells it is that we finally get to see actors in this show play off of each other that either have had very little screen time together or up until this point, relatively none. Uh, one of my, my favorite moments is the moment where Abe and Abigail get to have a conversation and she insists that putting Cicero in danger is the absolute last thing she wants to do and that she's not going to help them if he continues to put Cicero in danger. And that's when he tells her about a Kinbo day running away with the money and having saved his life. And I really liked this scene because I'm pretty sure that maybe with the exception of like being in passing at parties or something like that, that they really haven't had a scene together in a few seasons. And it's the same. Yes, Abe met Peggy in the last couple episodes, but really they haven't had a hugely dramatic scene. It was more just like Arnold trying to brush Abe off and yeah, Peggy was spying on him. But like this is the first time we've gotten to see them really act off of one another. And I really appreciated that. And this is sort of kind of what you're getting at with like this is definitely a curtain call season because we're seeing people who haven't had the chance to share screen time together share screen time together and it's great um uh, <laughs> flat andre definitely says at one time i felt that arnold and i could have and 
uh, engaged in a spirited game of polo. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm dreadfully impressed uh, with his behavior. Oh, I'm not dreadfully impressed with his behavior, however. Impressive to me that Champ never blinks his eyes. Yeah, Champ is intense. Can we talk about how intense Champ is? Because holy cow. Again, I think when you take a bullet for your mission before it ever gets started, I think that puts you in a certain mindset of, like, this needs to get done as quickly as possible. Although something, uh, again, this series has been really good at is taking the British soldiers and really humanizing them. Um, Because we have Abe, basically, in order to make this plan work, he's, like, shifting switches with, or shifts with everybody and promising rum to his bunkmates and everything like that. And you really do get the sense that they are just normal people who have signed up for the war, who are bored out of their mind. Um, It kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, college dorm room situations, like, in terms of, like, oh, hey, we're going to switch off chores this time, and I promise I'll buy everyone a round of beer uh, to compensate. So it was was interesting seeing, again, from the barracks, seeing uh, Arnold's squad, and also the fear that exists there um, big, when they get shipped out at the end, when they get shipped out at the end for, for the emergency ru- rush to Virginia, that, you, I mean, you really see it sink in because this was supposed to be a safe gig for them. They weren't supposed to go anywhere. And you see the fear sink in, not only on Abe's face, because this was not at all part of the plan, but you see it sink in on the faces of his bunkmates. And again, I think that really sells it. Like, this was, this, this was such, they were humans. They were human beings. They weren't always the bad guys. And I know we've talked about that on this show a lot, but I really appreciated that. Also talking about humanizing uh, the the British, uh, I want to switch gears and talk about camp a little bit because we get a little bit from uh, Anne Barnes, a.k.a. Anne Bates, um, her and Mary. Now, Mary, finding out that she's a spy, uh, goes, to, uh, goes to Anna Strong and Ben Talmadge to inform them so that they can arrest Anne. Um, and they decide to sort of hold off on that because maybe Mary can get more information out of her. And this puts Mary in a situation where she's a lot more uncomfortable than I think she has been because she wasn't in, in previous situations where she's spying. She's fooling, she's been fooling men who, who definitely like kind of glance over the lady of the house anyway, or don't suspect the lady of the house. Here, she is connecting with another woman and gaining this woman's trust and bonding over being a a wife and in the case of her son, you know, being a mother and wanting to take care of him in the same way that Anne wants to take care of her husband. And you can tell Mary is so much more uncomfortable with trying to get information out of Anne then she is, uh, you know, kind of steering Abe in the right direction when they work on plans together. Not only that, but Ben is like, you need to find out who she's working for without giving her a ton of time to build up trust. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's really heart-wrenching hearing her give her reasons for joining the war. Her husband is a tinkerer. He He's a very gentle man, and if me being a spy is something that can prevent him from, from being out in the battlefield, then that's what she's going to do, and she's doing it to keep her husband safe, and that is just... Again, it's something so relatable and sweet and ultimately really tragic because we know Mary is going to betray her at the first opportunity, but you can tell she's not happy about it. Um, Turnland also comments in the live chat. I really hope Abe, Champ, and uh, Sutridge, which is uh, Abe's bunkmate, uh, share more scenes. Their dynamic is really funny, and I have to agree with that. Uh, it's definitely one of the most uh, enjoyable parts of the episode is just hearing uh, Sutridge talk. Um, and again, he's he's this fun-loving guy who wasn't expecting to get shipped out to battle. He was just there to appease his father, and it's such a bummer. Um, oh, Vlad Andre also says, Ann Bates is a brilliant uh, in her spy ways, should have known that uh, her rather, I should have known her rather than Arnold, I would be in this season. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and uh, we have Jack Turner saying, this is how good of a spy, uh, this is how good of a spy Mary is. The other lady is completely convinced she is a spy and sees a kindred spirit in Mary. And yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, it's one of the reasons why Mary has been such a key player in this game. <laughs> uh, so yes, talking uh, about kind of more comedic scenes on the complete opposite spectrum of that and probably one of the most dramatic scenes we've had this season um we have Caleb in this episode and Caleb in this episode was absolutely heart-wrenching to watch um because we can definitely tell I don't know if the show is going straight PTSD um but yeah, I, it, the show seems to be indicating that he is suffering from PTSD and a tremendous amount of guilt from um, what he may or may not have told Simcoe uh, while being tortured. And it it's gotten to the point where he's drinking because he just hears Simcoe's voice in his head over and over again thanking him for selling out his friends. And you really have to hand it to Daniel Herschel, or Henshaw, who... Uh, who killed it in this episode. This is probably... Because we've seen Caleb go through some awful, really dark things. I mean, he had family that Simcoe murdered. Uh, you know, he's he's been behind enemy lines on more than one occasion. He's done some torturing himself. He's uh, He's been kidnapped and beaten up and shot at and all sorts of terrible things have happened to him. But... Nothing quite like what Simcoe did to him. And it wasn't so much the physical pain that he put him through. It was the psychological pain. Him screaming at Ben that Simcoe won up here was probably the most heart-wrenching thing. I think I don't want to say this uh, the most heart-wrenching thing this, se this season, but it's definitely the most heart-wrenching thing we've seen this character go through. And again... Kudos to the performance because after that scene, I was basically like, well, shoot, I'm kind of with Caleb here. I'd kind of like a drink. 
Um, and also seeing that, it's like, oh, seeing a character turn to alcohol to just drown their sorrows. It's terribly upsetting. Um, Arendale uh, 06 also says, oh, God, my heart. Um, yep, I, I concur with that 100%. Um, Turnland also says, oh, and Caleb, that was so, that like, yeah, it was good. Um, so, yeah, but as a result, as a result of this emotional breakdown, he cannot... Um, he cannot participate in the mission, and it's so sad because he probably could, but he thinks everyone is better off without him because, um, because he thinks he gave up his friends when that may or may not be true. Um, Jack Turner says Caleb is a broken man. The worst part is he seems to be the only one who realizes this. Ben's to be se- Ben seems to almost be blind to it, oddly. Um, and I... I think, again, that's because of the the situation that Ben is in. He is in a situation where you can't necessarily really afford to think about feelings given the time constraints and pressure that they're under. Again, you know, there's little to no money coming in from Congress. Uh, Men are, you know, we just had a rebellion a couple episodes ago, basically. Um, And there, there is this plan where there's a time crunch to kidnap Arnold. There's just not really enough time to care about how someone feels, which sounds really heartless, especially when it's one of his best friends. And again, not to condone his behavior um, in terms of just saying, oh, I, you should have told me sooner, so I could have just given this to someone else. Or, or in this case, he decides to just do it himself. Um, but at the same time, you also see how how that lack of like acknowledging emotion is blinding him in terms of dealing with Mary as well. Mary is going to accomplish what what she needs to accomplish by winning over Anne's trust and by gaining those feelings of friendship. And that's not something that really Ben has the time to care about um, because building up trust takes a lot of time. So on the one hand, I totally get where Ben is coming from in terms of just being like not exactly having great bedside manner and just being completely done with it and not being able to take the time to be like, hey, Caleb, let's talk about this. I get it. But at the same time, it's like, oh, man, this is why Anna is so important because she she can see those varying aspects and the emotional side of things as well. Um uh, we have Flat Andre Travels also saying an accurate portrayal for the trauma of war and torture. Uh, Arendelle 06 says it's not the first time that Ben has needed to be reminded that Caleb, um, or has needed to remind Caleb that he is a subordinate. Jack Turner says Caleb is Ben's, um, per- is in Ben's periphery. He has way too much to worry about. Uh, Turnland says, Ben saw it as a dereliction of duty. It probably wouldn't be accurate for the time in history for Ben to stop and give Caleb, like, a pep talk. And that's, again, or to stop to give Caleb a hug. And that's, that's also true. Um, during this time, I don't think people knew that PTSD was actually a thing. Um, but it, I, I do think that Ben could understand the psychological nature of what happened because Caleb was ultimately psychologically crushed by what Simcoe did to him. Like I said, I'm not condoning it, but 
I get where Ben's coming from, and again, there's just no time for this. Although, it's probably, I hate to say it this way, but it's probably a good thing that Ben went himself um, because he was able to see firsthand that they were shipping out to Virginia. And if that had been Caleb in his stead, then it would have taken time to relay that information back to Talmadge. Since Talmadge is already there, he can go ahead and start acting accordingly. Um, uh, that We have Jack Turner saying this is an expected reaction from Ben. He has always been uh, less personal and much more, uh, much more by the book. Feelings uh, be damned, the greater good is the goal. And that, I feel like, is true. Uh, Flat Andre also says, uh, excellent points. Thank you, Andre. Much obliged. Uh, this was the practice of the times. Feelings were not accounted for on the battlefield. We have Arendale 06. Ben forces his own trauma down and doesn't talk about it. Caleb's comment about feeling, finding him a girl of sorts hints that, uh, Ben has never told him about Sarah, so he assumed that Caleb was probably, sorry, it got cut off, uh, probably slighting him. Uh, but yeah, that's true. Ben has uh, definitely like taken his trauma and the things that he's gone and just pushed them deep, 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 deep down uh, and has chosen not to acknowledge or think about it, <laughs> which is also not healthy. They're all gonna they're all gonna need counseling when the war is done. Um, uh, and uh, we have childhood hours saying how how has Ben not crumbled by stress? Uh, and that's an excellent question. Uh, I've been asking that for a couple weeks now because he's had to juggle so so much. Uh, very you know of the differing. Uh, he's had to juggle so many personalities and plots and plans and schemes and personal drama. I don't know how he does it. Um, so, but, uh, we, we are kind of getting to the end of the episode. I do want to talk about Arnold a little bit in, uh, in, cause a lot of this episode focused on his plot, uh, or the plot to kidnap him. Um, not so much himself, but there, the bits we get with him were very good and very compelling, um, because he sees Champ as this defector, and it completely validates what he did. He's like, oh my gosh, me, like, my reputation does precede me. Uh, I, like, my sacrifice and defecting to, uh, to the British has, in fact, inspired people just like I thought it would. Um, it's just, it's his vanity. It's so funny. Um, but, yeah, so he, it completely validates him. And then we get to the end of the episode where he gets shipped out to Virginia to do what he does best. We see, the, we see a little bit of the man that Peggy married, uh, as she puts it, come back. Um, because he insists that he's off to go and do what he does best, which is lead in battle, which is the one thing he actually feels comfortable doing. He's not good at the politics. He's not good at playing the game. He's not a good spy. He is a good battlefield general, and that's where he should have been. <sighs> that's where he should have been um, from the get-go, but that is obviously not the way... Uh, not the way fate sort of lined everything out, but 
But at the end, when he does get this news, he instructs Abigail um, to take as the best care of Peggy because his unborn child is the most precious thing in the world to him. And their marriage is still on the rocks, but it's good to see him actually express a lot of care for their unborn child and at least hint that he's going to try to be a better husband later. And this is what I wonder. Since Peggy was actively a part of the plan to kidnap him in this go, how does she feel in this moment? And we don't really get a clear indication of how she feels, whether whether or not it's anger that her plan didn't work or fr- and frustration with all of that, or if it's guilt that she planned to throw him under the bus in the first place. Um, whether or not this is a good thing for her because she's hoping he'll die out on the battlefield. It's really hard to sort of gauge where her emotional state is at right now because she has officially gotten herself entangled with, uh, with the, with this spy ring. And I think it's bigger than she realizes it, or at least getting herself sort of involved is, potentially more detrimental than she realizes it's not just about getting rid of her husband now she's kind of in it and it's kind of hard to see where it's going to go from there and that's one of the great things about this show uh keeps you guessing but i felt so bad for abigail because she she was the one thing she cares about outside of akinbade potentially coming back is taking care of Cicero, and at the end of this episode, he is taken away from her to go and be by Benedict Arnold's side on the front lines. That's terrible. (laughs) Um, Childhood's Hour says, tell Arnold how great he is and he'll make you his second. Yep, that, uh, that... Is exactly true. Uh, we also have Flat Andre Travel says, I am discovering more and more about this counseling and feel like Simcoe could benefit from electroshock therapy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Given what we saw last episode, he might actually like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Turnland also says, The way he so quickly took in shop shows how easy it is to stroke his ego, which is exactly what they were planning on doing. Um, even though conflicting reports in the field don't necessarily validate uh, Arnold going, see everyone, this totally worked for me, just like I said it would. Um, so yeah, uh, the the only other thing I want to comment on is how great also Simcoe was in this episode, because what a scene to end on. Uh, Simcoe uncovers the plot. First of all, again, kudos to Samuel Rukin, because he got murdered several times in this episode. That must have been an absolute hoot to film. Um, and on top of that, Simcoe uncovers the plot to murder him, decides he's going to dispatch with Abe himself, uh, and then sort of Providence steps in and gives Abe a little bit more time. But at the end of this episode, Abe is looking up at Simcoe, looking down at him through a grate. They are on a ship together, stuck. There is nowhere for him to go. There's nowhere for Abe to hide. They are on a ship together, and it's only a matter of time before they get off, and Simcoe's going to be gunning for him, and it's going to be interesting. Um, so, yes, uh, thank you guys, uh, for joining me tonight. Uh, we're gonna have to wrap it up here real quick, but I do want to get in some really quick rapid-fire predictions. 
And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. You're a lot better at that than I am. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so, yes, next episode, we have Mary clearly wanting uh, Ben to step in and pull Abe out of this situation because he was never supposed to see combat. Uh, we have, obviously, what's going still probably dealing with the emotional fallout of what Caleb is going through. And, of course, we have the inevitable cat and mouse game between Simcoe and Abe, all while building up to a battle because they're going out on the front lines. So this is going to be interesting um, whether or not they can make kill Simcoe on the battlefield and make it look like an accident or just friendly fire or like he was killed by the enemy. I don't think the show is going to go that route. I feel like if they are going to kill Simcoe, it's not going to be until the final episode or penultimate episode. But personally, I don't think they're going to kill him at all. I feel like he's going to survive the show. That being said... I do think that we are going to get a lot more character death by the time we're out. And the clock is ticking. So I don't know who I want to pre- who I want to say I think is going to die because I really don't know. This is it's such an interesting thing. And obviously we know there's going to be more character death because the series is wrapping up in just a couple episodes. But I love all of these people and I really don't want to see any of them go. So fingers crossed that at least a handful of them get a happy ending. Um, But anyway, that's just me. Uh, Anyway, guys, thank you all so, so much for for taking the time uh, to sit down with me and keep me company this evening. Uh, Thank you to everybody on the hashtag, everybody in the live chat. You guys are amazing. Again, special thanks to Traveling Flat Andre. You guys can follow them on Twitter at FlatAndre1780. They also have an Instagram account. And again, it is just a hoot. I will be sending them pictures of uh, Andre here taking a tour of our lovely studio. So again... Be sure to keep an eye on their stuff. So, again, thank you to everybody in the live chat. You guys are just amazing. And, again, if you haven't already done so, go to iTunes, rate, subscribe, leave a comment. I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Mangwin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Be sure to follow Katie at Kiaget on Twitter and Instagram. All that fun stuff. We are on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz TV. Uh, I also write articles for The Movie Chick. That's Chick with two Ks. And I also do the voice of Margot Lane on the Shadow Radio Recreation which just had its season finale episode, so go check that out. We will be back again in a couple months, uh, but we will be back for this show next week, guys, with a special guest, and not Flat Andre this time, uh, with another, with a different special guest, so be sure to tune in for that. Thank you guys so, so much for watching. We will see you all next time. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.